Welcome to the Tavern Cast Network. Welcome back to the screen. Tonight, we get sucked up in a giant alien vacuum cleaner with the new movie Skyline, and we discuss our all-time favorite films. The theater is open. Let's go to the movies. I'll get you, my pretty. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I the Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, that's hysteria. I feel the need, the need for speed. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me sure. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. I'll be back. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome to the screen. Welcome to the first row. Settle in, grab your popcorn, and kick your feet up on the rail. This is Taverncast, The Screen, for the weekend of November 12th, 2010. It's the show that's all about movie reviews and the love of film past, present, and future. I'm your host, Bryce Irwin. And I'm Jennifer Albrecht. Talk movies with us. Call the show in the U.S. at 734-418-7077. That's the number. Internationally, catch us up on Skype. The username is TavernCast, or please do send us a short MP3 recording to TavernCast at TavernCast.com. Find information, archived episodes, and show forums for every show in the TavernCast network at www.TavernCast.com. So welcome back to the screen. Actually, it's a return to the screen. The screen was uh, one of Taverncast's very first spinoffs back in 2006. And we're bringing the show back because we thought it would just be fun to record and it seems kind of timely. We go see a movie and review it and come here and talk about film subjects. And who doesn't like movies? So I'm here... Me and my new co-host in crime, Jennifer Albrecht, and uh, I thought it might be fun to just talk a little bit about who we are so people have never heard us before, just hitting the screen for the first time, know a little bit about us. I am Bryce, I am the host and producer of TavernCast and a number of other shows related to TavernCast and the TavernCast Network, been doing podcasts for many, many years. My background in the film industry is more actually television related. I worked for a long time on Discovery Network shows, MTV, things like that, and uh, always made a play for movies, always really loved them, always really wanted to make them. Ended up instead uh, being sort of a latent internet radio host. I don't know how, how that's working out yet. And Jen, what's your background with the whole film thing? What do you bring into the screen? Well, I have a little bit of experience firsthand as far as actual film production goes. I w- lived and worked in Los Angeles for a little under a decade. I started out doing makeup. I was a makeup artist, did makeup and hair, a lot of special effects as well for, gosh, 35 feature films, I think. You made zombies. I did. I made a lot of zombies. (laughs) And uh, also did some music videos, fashion shows, television shows, lots of different things like that. Um, And I ended up actually getting into producing the last couple of years I lived there and uh, did a lot of short films uh, with producing. Bottom line is, Jennifer and I both enjoy movies like crazy. We talk about them to death. We love them to death. And we're here to carry our love of movies to you. And that is The Screen. Reports are coming in. Every major city in the world is experiencing the same encounter. They're everywhere. The further we get out of the city, the better off we are. He's right. 
what they're capable of. Run! Don't you get it? We're at war. So as you can hear, this week we went and saw the brand new movie, Skyline, uh, produced and directed by the Brothers Strauss. It's like the Brothers Grimm. Grimm, yeah. It's really strange. They were the um, producers, directors of Alien vs. Predator Requiem uh, and tons of music videos. They own an effects company called Hydraulics in Los Angeles. Uh, it's famous for movies like 300, Iron Man 2. They did some work on Avatar. Interesting, okay. And they funded Skyline with their own money, after studios gave them a lot of trouble. It, it was actually kind of an interesting story, which one of the reasons that I actually wanted to go see this movie a lot is because the story goes, they had all these film ideas, the studio wouldn't listen to them, or if they did want them, wanted to purchase them, they wanted to take all the, the direct directing abilities and rights to change of story or rights to direction away from these guys sure. and just hire some other directors. So they just wanted to buy the script and make it how they wanted to make yeah. it. Okay. And these guys, didn't. they wouldn't have it. They okay. wanted to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're in the lucky situation that many of us are not ever going to ever be in, which is they own an effects house. And so they said, you know, we'll <laughs> just work on... They have a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, they'll work on these movies like Iron Man 2 and Avatar and get paid and stock up some money and then they'll go off and make their movies. Movie, which ended up being Skyline, and I'm like, you know, it's like a giant indie movie. And they've got it distributed through the studios, but they actually made it outside of studio support, which was kind of cool. Apparently, it only cost uh, $500,000 to shoot it, which is, it may sound expensive to your sort of layman, but $500,000 to make a movie, period, is really, really cheap, yeah, especially for an effects movie. Yeah, definitely. They're estimating that it was about $10 million total to make it if they had, you know, actually had to go out and pay for an effects house to get involved. Um, and they say that Skyline is the first in a series of films that they plan to make in that universe, which, after we've seen it, I guess I see why they would say that. So, Jen, give us a quick rundown about what the synopsis is of the story. <laughs> Uh, so basically, um, you have the character Jared, who is played by Eric Balfour, and his girlfriend Elaine, uh, who is played by an actress named Scotty Thompson, who have come from uh, from Brooklyn, New York, to visit their friend Terry, who is Donald Faison. Uh, Terry is a big wig Hollywood producer type. He owns a, surprisingly enough, special effects company. He has invited his best buddy from growing up, er- uh, Jared, to L.A. to celebrate his birthday. They have a night of celebration, and when they wake up in the morning, uh, Los Angeles is being attacked by aliens. Which happens a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, sort did, of. <laughs> did it ever occur to you that Los Angeles is kind of turning into the um, Tokyo of the Americas? You yeah, know, like Tokyo is except, constantly instead of wasted. Godzilla. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it pretty much gets decimated in every major disaster movie. So interestingly enough, this week, the trailer for Battle Los Angeles starring Aaron Eckhart from Dark Knight, who played Two-Face and mm-hmm. Bridget Moynihan. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle Rodriguez is in it, too. But yes, anyways, Battle Los Angeles is another alien invasion movie that comes out in 2011. A uh, trailer just hit today. And uh, what's interesting, it's a spark to controversy because the brothers Strauss, who own Hydraulics Effects House, did effects work for Battle Los Angeles. And Sony Pictures is pissed that they weren't advised that the brothers were doing their own alien invasion movie at the same time. And I think there's some competition there or some some uh, peeved nerves over the fact that there was, you know, redundant work being done and maybe the brother Strauss stole some of the ideas and things like that. So, Well, I'd be very curious as to uh, who actually did their stuff first. 
as, as far as the actual production goes because things like this when when you're working with this kind of special effects this is not something that happens over the matter of a week or two this is something that takes years to do yeah, and skyline kind of came out of nowhere like nobody had heard about that movie at all until the first trailer hit they had kept the whole thing under wraps they actually never screened the movie well, with anybody but they didn't have studio backing so they wouldn't have mm-hmm. so i i thought obviously the premise of the movie to me had a lot of interest going in just because it was kind of like a highly financed, highly effect, like big summer tentpole movie that was an indie pick, mm-hmm. not run through the studio. So I think everybody was kind of, uh, and I think Jen and I are both kind of geeky. Um, we both have our sort of geeky interests, and just like everything else, Tavern Cast, I think the whole show has sort of a slant towards that kind of thing in general. Although, you know, I'm sure we'll cover some dramas and weepy romances and things like that occasionally. But my point is, though, (laughs) is that going in, this was kind of a fanboy dream, this thing was, for a lot of people, because we looked at it and said, okay, here's some guys that from from all the tabloids talk that they just gave free reign to their effects guys and they had this great vision and no tampering at all by the studios, which usually causes a lot of movies to go through troubles. I mean, all the big problems and failures of the past, uh, in geek circles anyways, everybody always blames the studios. That isn't always true, but a lot of the times it is, is that the suits I, get involved, money gets involved, and good stories are lost. Well, because they end up having to they, – they have to insert their formula into it. Yeah, and we were hoping that these guys wouldn't do that, so everybody was like, holy cow, it's a movie about aliens. It's got monsters in it. It has the military fighting aliens and monsters. Like, this is great. It's like a geek wet dream. The question is, did they actually pull this off in the end? And that makes up our review portion of the show. So please note that the screen will – we'll try to shy away from spoilers as much as possible. Uh, and if we think we're going to dump a big one like what the ending was or something, we'll warn you in advance. So just FYI. So to give people a quick overall impression of how, uh, what the movie was, what, what's your impression of the movie? Just off the cuff, I loved it, I didn't like it, I thought it was great, it sucked. What's your impression? I thought it was entertaining. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Um, I didn't feel like I you know, lost two hours of my life, but I don't know that I would – go back again i think i would agree with you uh ain't it cool news rotten tomatoes they're all rating this thing really low there was some really yeah. scathing reviews on this thing that that made it seem like it was the worst movie ever made yeah and i don't think it's that bad no i don't think it was definitely not the worst movie ever made i've seen no. much much worse <laughs> let's talk about the story okay. and the script you've already kind of given a synopsis as to basically what the movie's about mm-hmm. so what was your read on the on the story the story is pretty basic Get out of the apartment building alive. That's the story. Uh, There's a few twists to it in the aspect of I don't think that it follows the average studio formula. You know, okay, so I'm I'm not going to spoil the end, but uh, I did read an article off of Indical News the other day that said that uh, it had the biggest WTF ending of any movie ever. Horrible movie ending. They they actually likened it to the movie endings where the whole movie – it has been a dream, and some dude wakes up on a couch and says, oh, that was a weird dream about an alien invasion. They liken it to that. <laughs> it was like Bobby in Dallas. Yeah. He's not really shot. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I was waiting for that based on that review. Yeah, And when I the remember... ending finally came, mm-hmm. I thought probably, for my money, that was a slightly more interesting part of the movie than almost the whole rest of the movie is that they went the direction they went. I don't think it's a WTF ending. I think it's more just it's... 
odd, but it's not like it's not a bad ending. No, I don't think it was bad. I think actually it was pretty ballsy, to be honest with you, simply because it was a big snub of the normal Hollywood formula for action films. Well, and tell them, tell them why. Like, tell them that this movie is it doesn't really have a happy ending. No, I no, it doesn't really have a happy ending. I mean, yeah. it does not end the way that every other alien movie that you ever see ends it just doesn't the bottom line is if you're listening to this show 10 to 1 you don't care wholly about spoilers and so while we won't try to spoil like anything that's a big reveal it's probably not a big spoiler to tell you humanity doesn't fare well through the movie well no but it's not independence day yeah no it's definitely not independence day and actually i think i appreciated the fact that it's not independence day and i think that i would have to go up against the guys from any cool news and say that i i'm disappointed that they are saying bad things about it because of that I'm thinking that people's reaction to this movie was based a lot, a lot, around fanboy longings for this to be the next big thing. And there was – I think there was hype. It was the hype based around these guys coming out of nowhere, kind of making an indie film without studio supervision, and it was a big sci-fi blockbuster. And they're like, oh my god, somebody's going to do it right, and it's got aliens and monsters in the military. And because it isn't – the next big thing. It wasn't the Matrix. It wasn't like you didn't walk out of the theater, or at least I didn't, going, wow, that I really was an experience. Mm-hmm. Like, that is that is a fantastic movie that's going to be on my DVD shelf and live forever in, like, the top 20 sci-fi movies I've ever seen. It's nowhere near that. It's a one-time viewing at best. And I bet you anything that people are reviewing it worse than it actually is more based on that than what they're actually viewing. Because I could compare this movie to, like, 2012. 2012 wasn't deep. 2012 was not that good of a movie. It had some cool effects. It had some neat scenes. It had really shallow characterizations and an iffy story. But it was all right. You went in. You watched it. It was kind of cool. Well, I disagree with you on some of those points, but that's okay. You Go can, ahead. You're not allowed to. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> on that note, because we're not talking about 2012, go into characters. So characters of Skyline, what did you think? I don't think that they did a whole lot as far as massive character development, but I don't think that that was really the purpose of the film. I mean, let's face it. I look at this thing as a huge, huge commercial for the company that the that these directors and producers own. Does that shortchange film, though, as a medium? Does it shortchange it? Because I tend to agree with you. It's a show showpiece for these guys. But does that shortchange the medium at all or the artistry, I guess, of film that these guys no, are kind of just – absolutely it's not. It's a giant paid effects absolutely reel. Absolutely not because you know what? Every single movie that you see is a showpiece for somebody. And I say that because think about think about any no, I don't any agree with you. Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson, he wasn't making a showpiece for Peter Jackson, but it is a showpiece for it was Peter a, Jackson. It was like an act of love. It was a love letter but to it's Tolkien. But still a showpiece for Peter Jackson. Now people have a specific impression. When you say Peter Jackson, everyone instantly associates yeah, but he him with those movies. But he didn't and make they, it. He didn't make it to be a showpiece. Okay, the, you're I'll saying give you these that. guys probably made this in some effect to be a showpiece but every, for their, see, for their okay, company. No, here's the thing, though, is that when you're working on these things and it's it all becomes a labor of love, whether it's something that you purposely made it – like that's what you set out to do or not. It becomes a labor of love because it's the only way you're going to get it done. Well, it has to because that's how much time these people absolutely, spend. Absolutely, absolutely. But I got to be honest and say this. And I don't say this about a lot because I'm familiar with movie making just as you are. 
And so I don't want to throw people out under the bus, but there are some movies like this one where I have to sit there and ask, these guys spent two, three years on this movie. At what point didn't they look at the script and look at the characters and look at the whole scenario outside of the effects, which we'll get to, and I think we're great, and say, this movie is not that good. This movie's not going to go that far. See, and I disagree with because you Because I could on that, do though. better than this movie, and I don't say that. There are some movies that I would never say, you know, like, be like okay, you know what? That was good, but, you but know, I probably couldn't do any better. are you because it's not fitting the formula? I mean, I really honestly think that there's so many people that are hung up on what movies are supposed to be, in quotes, because they're so used to the BS that comes out of Hollywood and all the crap that gets shoved down our throats to be, this is a good film, you should really like this, that when somebody comes up with something that's just a little bit different or off or doesn't follow that big studio formula... I still followed it. This was still big studio. It was no. it was small big studio, but it was still it was it still this it was would not by have the been numbers. It wouldn't have ended the way that it did if it was a big studio thing, because any... Studio president that saw that script come across their desk would have looked at it and said, it's great, up to the page, whatever, change it. And they would have changed it. Maybe. They would have changed it. Maybe, but I guess all I'm saying is, so, I mean, we've been, uh, in the past couple days, we've been watching Stargate Universe, which is a television series that's based off of the Stargate franchise. It's actually the third series in the Stargate franchise. It's a complete departure of what Stargate used to be. I'm not going to get into Stargate. My point is, is that there are sometimes you watch something that you're engrossed in And the characters are good, and the story is engrossing, and the effects are good, and the pieces work together, and there are times that you're not exactly sure what's going to happen, and Mm -hmm. you're swept along by that story. And Stargate Universe, for me, has been that way for the past couple of days. It's not perfect. But you told me yourself that most of the time people were giving that bad reviews. Why? Because it didn't follow the regular Stargate formula. They weren't – it does not follow SG-1 and Atlantis' formula. It's not the same thing. Right. And people didn't like it because of that. People like what they know. Are you saying people didn't like Skyline because it didn't follow the conventions quite as much? Yes. All right. Well, I guess what I'm saying then, even though it departed a bit, a a tiny little bit from from the accepted norm of how these alien invasion movies go, and it doesn't depart that much, only in the end does it really depart that much. But that's the thing that you leave. That's the last thing you see before you leave the theater. That's what the impression is that you get left with. But my point is is that anybody could have done better with everything that came before than what these guys did with it. They Mm. totally dropped the story. They have characters that are completely unlikable and a story that is boring and by the numbers. There is not much in the way of surprises. There was nothing in the theater that happened, not even once, where I was like, whoa, that's new. Whoa, that's crazy. Whoa, you didn't see that coming. Again, though, as I said in the beginning, I don't think that characters were the main Effects were. I, I, it yes, was all about it effects. It was all about effects. And I have to say kudos to these guys because they did a really good job. Which brings us to the effects. Yes. I definitely think that, uh, hands down, this is one of the better effects films that I think I've seen in a long time. Um, really? I, yeah, I, I do think. I thought that they did a really good job with it. I don't think that there wasn't a ton of green screen all over the place. It wasn't something where... No obvious errors. Yeah. It, yeah and, and and the thing is, they didn't overdo it and try to have things just to have them. So this is an alien attack film, right? There's there's war going on, basically. The The most blood I saw in the whole thing was maybe a split lip. And that was it. They could have gone crazy and had body parts all over the place. And, you know, people are dying all over this thing. So give me give me one example of an effect that you thought was just like the best thing you've seen all year. Of a moment in the movie where you're like, wow. 
Uh, I think that the way that the ships, the, the big ships come in when they come down to see them over that skyline, and probably because I'm familiar with the skyline, having seen that view multiple times and seeing those things just hovering there and the way they descend through the clouds. And it's the marine layer, actually, that's coming in, which is another thing that they didn't screw up. So you've got – it's Marina del Rey between starting at 4.30 in the morning and in the summertime, anybody that lives in L.A. knows that there's a marine layer that comes in and sucks in that whole area that doesn't usually burn off until later on in the day. And they didn't miss that. They kept it there. And so it was really – I mean it was realistic from the aspect of looking at those things and saying, oh, okay, this is really what L.A. looks like at this time of day. This is really what it's like. See, and this is one of those perspective things because I took it that it was a complete ape of Independence Day and it was, you know, there was thunder going off. You heard thunder. And I'm like, okay, the aliens are generating their big thunderclouds. I think in Independence Day, it was supposed to be the atmosphere was all distorted from the the uh, the entry of the ships yes. into the atmosphere. Yes. And then the big giant alien ships in ID4 break through the clouds and come in. These you ships did practically ship. the same thing. No, but in, in Independence Day, you have one ship that descends and comes over and covers the entire city. That's it's true. supposed it to be miles ship. long. Yeah. Whereas this is something that's a lot more realistic from the aspect of – they probably wouldn't have sent the big ship like that. These guys have multiple little ships and they're they're basically little factories. They're doing all of the stuff that they need to do and they're sending out all their little alien flyers and monsters and, and all that stuff directly from these multiple little ships and they're getting to all of the places that they need to go. I also have to give them kudos for originality because they didn't look like every other alien ship you ever see. Well, the ships didn't, but the aliens have a um, – they have kind of like – Little tanks they they drive in. So, okay, if you saw Independence Day and you remember there was like the big alien warrior guys with tentacles and kind of disjointed legs. And at one point they open that thing up and there's there's a little alien driving it. All throughout the movie, they show the little alien driving. So there's like the the there's the kind of multiple or maybe a car size alien with tentacles, and there's a little dude driving that. And there's the giant like Godzilla size aliens, and there's a little dude driving him. And they show the little dude inside the big guy, which was neat. I thought that was kind of a neat concept, but it's been done again in Independence Day. In fact, the alien, the shape of the car size tentacled aliens looked a hell of a lot like the ID four thing, so much so that. I just figured they were doing a direct homage to Independence Day because it was like, okay, so these look just like the Independence Day guy. The only other thing that I would say that there was what I thought was there was a little bit of a similarity to were a few of uh, the machines in the Matrix that were attacking, you know, the ones that had the tentacles that were always attacking the ships. There was some similarity there, but one was machines, one was aliens. So it's not exactly the same thing. Uh, moving on, what did you think of the music? Uh, it didn't make a huge impression on me. Yeah, I have to say the same thing. You know, and they do say that uh, some of the best music is the music you never notice is there, right? This was just sort of bland. I tend to pay attention to music in movies. Mm -hmm. It was just bland. You know? I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't. It, nothing stood out about it to me. So nothing stood out. So what? What? Uh, if you have a favorite moment of the whole film, what? What is it? I think the the moment that I like the most uh, actually is there's a scene where the main character Jared is in the bathroom. And he has just – he's just survived an attack uh, from the aliens and he's in the bathroom examining himself and when these aliens attack people, they have a thing that uh, turns their eyes this kind of cloudy color and it brings out all the veins in their system and 
the effects are still hitting him basically. So he's trying to recuperate and he's in the bathroom. He's looking at himself in the mirror and he's kind of pressing on his skin. And you can see right in the area that he's pressing on his skin by his eye, the vein pops up just right in that small little area. And it's just, it's subtle enough so that you know that it's something that's bothering him, but it's not something that's, you know, again, they didn't overdo it. And I thought that that was kind of cool. I would say mine, there's a sequence where the military sends a bunch of drones in to go shoot up the alien spaceships. Mm. Um, specifically, they launch a nuke at the uh, at the big mothership that's out there. And, you know, I- I'm a big geek. So if you're going to nuke a spaceship over L.A., I want to see that. That was cool. <laughs> um, and, and that was neat. And then, the you know, out from out of the flames, the alien ship comes out and, like, lands on the ground and explodes into a million pieces. And then what happens after that is kind of interesting, too, but I won't ruin that. Good plan. <laughs> Least favorite movement of the whole moment of the whole movie? Worst part of the whole movie? Worst part of the whole movie. I don't know that I would say that there was one particular moment that was really bad. I there was one particular character I didn't like. The doorman or the uh, building manager guy, uh, Oliver. I just nothing against the actor, but I did not like the way he delivered the lines and I, I didn't understand why he was there. Least favorite for me is going to be the entire cast of characters and the characterizations <laughs> of those characters. Uh, I didn't like any of them. I was happy to see most of them all die and the movie end. So the biggest question is, <laughs> wow. see this movie in the theaters or wait for the rental. Jennifer, what do you pick? I would say see it in the theater, go to a matinee. Um, that way you get the effects. You get the benefit of seeing the effects on the big screen. Um, but you're not paying full price, so you're not going to feel like you know it was a total waste. If you're if if you don't end up liking the movie, at least you got to see the cool stuff. I think the whole movie was awash in mediocrity, with very few moments that really sticks in your brain for a long-term win. And I'm going to say wait for the rental, but the rental is good. There are some people out there saying it's not even worth a rental. I think it's worth a rental. As long as you have a big screen TV, it would be worth a rental. <laughs> so we're going to rate these movies one to five stars. One being an absolutely horrendous movie. Five being an absolute classic. And just to give you sort of a benchmark, Jen, what would you say is a one? Out of any movie you can think of, what's a one? A one would be The Fog. The original or the remake? The remake. Okay. Uh, One for me would probably be Alien Resurrection or Alien 4. Uh, Give us an example of a five. Classic. Absolute classic. And we'll actually probably end up talking about this more in a moment. For me, an absolute classic is, I think, actually considered to be a classic, but uh, one of my very favorite movies of all time is Casablanca. And I would say Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So you have an idea of how we see these ratings, one through five. Skyline, the movie now in theaters, you would rate what, Jennifer? One through five. 2.5. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two. So there you have it. Somewhere in the range between 2 and 2.5. Skyline the movie, I think it's a heaping pile of mediocrity with crappy characterization, a very weak story and script. But some interesting (laughs) effects, but nothing that's really blockbustery and groundbreaking. This is not the second coming, and uh, people who are waiting for this movie to sort of break the mold and be a really cool indie attempt, I think you're going to have to keep waiting. I agree with you that it's not the second coming, but I definitely think that it was at least semi-entertaining, and I think that if you like special effects, if that's something that you're into and you like the action, this would be something that you would find entertaining. And whatever you do, don't move to L.A., because that place is getting trashed all the time.
So alright, as well as new movie reviews, every week we're going to be bringing you a different topic on films, the movie industry, maybe get some interviews, and a lot more. So this week, just as a way to have you guys out there try to get to know us a little bit better and who we are, what makes us tick, what makes our filmic passions fire, I thought maybe we'd talk about maybe our top couple, pick two of your absolute favorite classic movies of all time, anything that just really just lights your fire, the ones that have endured, the ones that still speak to us when we see them, the ones that have made the biggest impression over the years. Well, um, like I said, uh, one of my favorites, obviously, uh, is Casablanca. I just said that. Um, I That is, to me, an absolute classic film. I think there's a little bit of everything in it. It's historical. It's beautifully done. It's well-written. It's well-acted. The scripting in it is and the acting the people are just amazing it's one of those things that for me every time i see it i i see something new i learn something that i didn't re- really know about that era and i think it's really interesting it really also speaks to humanity and what people were going through during world war Two and the survival in love you're gonna rat me in the mouth for this but castle blank is a movie i've never seen I have never seen it, and uh, it's one of those. Which blows things, me away because of your your thing with the military. You know, well, war I, stuff. Yeah, I am. I am a, a fan of uh, of history and World War II in particular. So, mm-hmm. y- yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it's one of those movies that's fallen in the cultural lexicon quite a bit. I mean, you know, I think of things like um, Play It Again, Sam, mm-hmm. and um, of out of all the bars and all the gin joints, why did you have to walk into mine? Something yeah. like. That. And it's funny though that some movies you don't see. You know, people who have never seen Gone with the Wind, for example, might know the line. Frankly, my dear, I don't don't give give a damn. damn. Yeah, Yeah. that one. Yeah. Well, I definitely suggest that anybody see it. Um, I think that it's something where if you are interested in really understanding film, for its time, it was very daring. It really showed the underbelly of the war and people doing bad things to try and do good and it being okay. Like the hero in the movie is not a hero. He's like an anti-hero. And it's one of the first films where that really happens. You get a second choice. There's actually several that I like. Um, it's always hard to do this. Yeah. You, ask, you ask a person the what their Desert favorite Island movie thing. is. God, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even narrow down my favorites to less than five. Usually a movie that I absolutely love is the original Indiana Jones movie. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The first time I saw it, I saw it three times in one weekend. Every single time I saw it, it was this huge thrill ride for me. It completely swept me into the story, and I I just completely forgot about where I was and what was going on, and it was just amazing. It made a huge impression on me, so that's one of those ones that every time I see it, you know, when I hear that the, the theme, the Indiana Jones theme, it still gets me. Like, my chest clenches up. I still am like, oh, Indy, oh. Well, in that vein, it, this was during uh, Spielberg and Lucas's glory days back when, mm-hmm. when Raiders was made. Well, um, definitely a very clear contender for one of the ones on the top of my list would be Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg's, uh, one of his earlier movies. Yeah. And actually, that main, that continues to be one of my favorite Spielberg movies that there's ever been. Right. I love that movie. And uh, it's it's one of those things where I really love Richard Dreyfus as a character mm-hmm. in that movie. And I, th- I like the arc that his character takes. I, sure, it's about aliens, but it's an optimistic view of of the world and of the things we all long for. It has a happy ending, but it's an ending that you that is not there in almost every other alien movie that's ever been made, short of maybe something like 
Starman by John Carpenter or something. Mm -hmm. Most alien movies are going to be about the aliens attacking or the aliens being scary. Oh, I'm sorry. And E.T., of course. Spielberg went on to do E.T., which is a different movie than Close Encounters, but still has that that, uh, veiled optimism as to, you know, what what the Well, and interestingly enough, we as human beings end up being the bad guys in those movies. Actually, in both movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think just moving away from the sci-fi thing to shake things up, even though this is not one that I would put at probably the very top of my list, but pretty close. It's in the top five, is Dances with Wolves. And I, I get a lot mm. of flack for this one because I know there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they, they rank on uh, Kevin Costner's somewhat dodgy acting sometimes, and they make fun of some of the Tatonka buff, buff. Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, I think I think Dance with Wolves is still a movie for me. And there's an extended version. So there's a director's cut of it that runs almost four hours. Just, it's such wow. a masterpiece. I never movie. saw that one. You've never seen the extended stuff? Not the extended stuff? version, no. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff they added. There's, no, there's things wow. where um, Kicking Bird takes Dances with Wolves, Kevin Costner's character, to like their sort of sacred old lands that they came from, their sacred old hunting grounds. And it's kind of this really nice extended piece where it shows like maybe how things actually were before the white man ever showed up. Mm. And then of course there's like white trappers that have moved in and like killed a bunch of the animals. And it's just, it's more reinforcement of, of the change that the native peoples are facing and things like that. And I know that it is sensationalized. I know that the Sioux Indian tribes were not the most peace loving, friendly people on the planet planet they were very warlike they fought with other tribes i think that i i think that they you know so the native peoples obviously did go through some really wretched things mm-hmm. and and i think people look at dances with wolves especially if people in the more conservative circles will look at it and say well it's just another like white bashing kind of movie right where it's just all oh, the, the white people were just so mean and cruel and everything else they did the same thing with avatar avatar had avatar was called dances with wolves in space basically which mm-hmm. might be one of the reasons i kind of liked avatar it was it was similar in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but i think that the the movie just shows a lot about humanity it's not really about white people are bad or you know the natives were good and they didn't have anything wrong with them there's flaws on both sides but i, I like the hopefulness of the movie i like the way it showed the frontier it's probably incredible romanticized and I know that but I like it romanticized and from that it's an epic very cool interesting cultural statement kind of movie that just endures for me with a lot of really really memorable scenes and memorable characters and not all the characters that are memorable are even human that that is true the wolf the wolf mm-hmm. yeah Well, folks, that's been the screen for this week. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, please review us on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes simply by typing TavernCast and pressing search, and you'll find all kinds of TavernCast shows, including this one. Your reviews help to increase the show's ratings and its listeners, making it possible for us to keep doing this show. And remember to visit the screen and our other shows, TavernCast and On Tap. All three of them can be found on the worldwide internet at www.taverncast.com. Next week, we'll be back with the highly anticipated final chapter of the Harry Potter film series. It's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yes, I'm so excited. Buy your tickets early and then join us in the front row. Bye.
to Screen is a Snapdragon production and part of the Taverncast family of podcasts. Visit us online at www.taverncast.com. <laughs>